Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. And I'm here with the lovely and brilliant, brilliant and lovely, uh, Chloe Hilliard. She's a comedian. And we've been working together this week at the Comedy Cellar here in Las Vegas uh, at the Rio Hotel. And we've been hanging out. I kidnapped her a couple times, <laughs> took, her to, took her to hot yoga and uh, then a vegan spot. And then uh, we went zip lining. I went zip lining. You <laughs> prayed to God for two minutes. Which I really don't feel like he answered my call because I did, I didn't let go of that chair. I didn't trust God. That just lets me know I'm not religious at all because I ain't let go of that chair. But you told me to go. This is what happened, ladies and gentlemen. We were coming back from hot yoga and vegan breakfast, and we walked through the casino floor, and there was the the booth for the zip line. And he said, "Oh, have you seen a zip line?" I was like, "I did not know there was a zip line here." And basically, it's a zip line where you sit down in two chairs and you're strapped in and you go from one tower of the resort to the other. 51, we're like 55 stories up. And then back, they just literally pull you back like a slingshot. And um, he was like, yeah, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And I had my reservations because I'm afraid of heights, but like sp- specifically, I'm afraid of the drop. Like, so I don't like roller coasters because right. I'm like getting to the top. And then that you Boom. can't see and you just facing down yeah. with that plummet. I don't like the plummet. But I was like, maybe Zipline could be better. But while we were up there waiting to go up, it just was looking more and more terrifying. She she said she might even pee herself. I definitely said I might pee myself. So I went to the bathroom to empty the tank. And then you was getting all hype. And by the time we sat down in the chair, I had, you know, centered myself. And I was working on my breathing, which you can see on the videotape that he posted on his timeline. And he was terrified. You see how things switch out? You see how you think you're ready for something? That's why you have to embrace the fear and then overcome it versus going to things so confidently and then you get your feelings hurt. Here's but you know, and but I what I love about the story is that I've recognized in myself I'm stronger, stronger, strong. I don't know if I stronger, stronger for other people. Mm. So, you know, only because I was with you, I would have never done that by myself. But only because I was with you and you were afraid, then I was like, well, I can't be afraid because you're afraid, so I have to be strong. And then once you were strong, I was like, now I could be afraid now. (laughs) You know, it's like, and and there are a lot of parents out there like that, you know, and, and, and people who are, if you're taking care of someone where, you know, you're like, man, like, you know, you can't, I can't show weakness, I can't be vulnerable, I gotta, I got stuff I gotta get done and people are depending on me. And then once those people are, you know, uh, independent and and, and and moving on and, and using their own strength, then you can finally, you know, break down and relax. I see that. I do that a lot. I'm definitely the pillar of strength in my family. Mm. I'm the one that's... But I think I was that way from a child because I had to be strong for, like, my parents. And so I was like, well, I can't give them problems if they're, you know, if, if I feel like somebody's having an issue with something, I'm not going to add to that. I'm going to self-contain and just handle my own business. Didn't want to be a burden. Yeah, I definitely didn't want to be. Like, I even didn't, I didn't even ask my parents for money. You know how you go to school and be like, mom, can I have money for lunch? Like, I just wouldn't eat lunch versus. We, we, same way. I felt the same. I just wouldn't eat lunch. And I would, I would just wait until I would hope there would be a free meal. Yeah. And then I would get the free meal. And she'd be like, you can't keep getting these free meals. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not going to ask my parents. I'm not going to ask my mom for money. Yeah. But the ridiculous thing was there was a form for free lunch. And I didn't just, 
I don't want to burden her with even filling out the form. Well, my mom did it. I definitely got free lunch in junior. I mean, in elementary school for sure. Junior high school, yes, but junior high school, my high my junior high school was interesting because it was six. It was fifth through eighth grade, and since the school was so crowded in Brooklyn, New York. Um, the seventh and eighth graders got to leave the school for lunch, and you can go to like the cheap Chinese place, the pizza place, Burger King, and you can get like four chicken wings for like two dollars or something like that. Mm, and the so, good old days, the good old days. And so, me and my friends, we would just pull our money together. So, like, if you didn't have money, you would still get something to eat because amongst the four of us, we would always. So I didn't have to have money every day. And then when I got to high school, I just didn't even ask for money because it was like, I'm, you know, I can't be eating school lunch. You got to keep up appearances. I played on the basketball team. like yeah. So I would just not eat. And I would go the whole day. I would eat breakfast at home. I would go the whole day. I would go to practice, have not eaten anything, then get home. And then I would be starving, like over hungry, too hungry to even eat. And then I would like eat a little something, go to bed. So I definitely had a, I write about it in my book, Fuck Your Diet. Um, but I definitely had like an eating disorder because of that. Now, what's the full, what's the full title of your book? Fuck Your Diet and Other Things My Thighs Tell Me. I, I love it. I love it. Before we continue on, where I like to start every podcast episode with uh, the 1-800-SUICIDE number, 1-800-273- 8255 or 1-800-784-2433. Uh, this podcast is not a substitute for um, for you seeking help, right? Pick up the phone, take action, call someone, talk to someone, uh, join a group, um, but, but definitely get involved. Don't take it for granted and don't think that you should be strong enough or that you are strong enough, like, talk to someone, pick up the phone. Um, and we also like to start off every podcast, Chloe, with uh, three things we're grateful for. And uh, I'll go first, as I, as I usually do, if I you thinking about it. Um, I'm grateful that I get to travel for work. Um, I've always, I wanted to be Batman when I was a kid. And I realized part of being uh, Batman was, that he uh, he traveled, not Batman, uh, James Bond. I wanted to be James Bond. And the thing that I really loved is that he worked and traveled and traveled for work. So this is kind of me being James Bond a little bit. Uh, you do wear black all night. I wear night. black all night, every day, <laughs> I, all day, all night. I'm in all black, except for my socks. That's where I let it I know, but I we got to talk pop. about you wearing black, though. <laughs> we do. We're going to talk about it. Um, the second thing I'm grateful for, <laughs> we'll put a pin in that, is um, I'm grateful for this podcast. Like, this is, is giving me purpose, is giving me an opportunity to share with people and uh, and connect with people on a deeper level and allow people to connect with me on a deeper level that uh, otherwise uh, wouldn't have happened. And the third thing that I'm grateful for is uh, th- this abundance of, uh, of produce in front of me. I have a bunch of oranges <laughs> and bananas. Where'd you get these and from? Lemons. I got these from uh, Smith's. Mm. So I like to keep that. I like to keep, I like to, you know, I like to have living things in front of me. You know what I mean? It, it makes me feel like like life is good. Uh, just reminded me to text my brother to water the plants. Yeah, sure see, you got to have some plants, yo. I'm, I'm struggling with these two plants that I got. I got them over the holidays, and I'm hoping that you know, See, I can keep them alive. You got to get bamboo. Don't mm, bamboo. I got a you cactus. Ain't, mm-mm. I got a what cactus you got it? And a money tree. You don't have to uh, water a cactus. That cactus is good for years, right? No, you no? got to give it a little bit of water, like at least once a week. No, nah, not a cactus. Are you sure? Yeah. All right. 
Oh, I, I killed. I had a cactus and I killed it. Uh, while she's texting, uh, I literally am the, the reason the reason why I want I want to have uh, Chloe Hilliard on. Uh, one is you know cause she wrote an amazing book which I haven't I haven't read yet. But you know, it's but amazing. but I know it's amazing because uh, her stand up <laughs> is amazing. She's amazing. But uh, like as you already can tell, like we have a similar story, and I feel like so many people, so many of us, uh, we suffer in silence. Because we do not want to be a burden. And it and what it does is it denies the people in our life an opportunity to be purposeful. Right? There's so many people in your life that you're unaware of. And maybe it's just one person, but there's someone out there who, and it could be a stranger, somebody you haven't even met yet, who if you shared your story and told your story, uh would help you and 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 uh, guide you and navigate you through your uh, emotional uh, whatever you're going through emotionally and uh, mentally. Um, so I know she and I we have uh, similar issues. We we have uh, some uh, uh, body image issues mm-hmm. and um, you know feeling like we're a burden also. And uh, and Chloe, how tall are you? Six one. She's six one. And, you know, a, a, a woman being, a black woman being 6'1 in America, uh, that uh, just a woman, period, being 6'1 is tough. Being a black woman 6'1, right? And did you play sports? I played basketball. I played basketball high school and some of college. You were forward? Or uh, what, what I was, was Division three, so it was Division three. Oh, wow. Forward. Right, right. So not petite, right? Yeah. And, and so, uh, and a lot of listeners out there, but... Also, you were a journalist. Yes. So we're going to get through all that because I'm really fascinated to explore that. But uh, let me let's, go, let's backtrack. Um, where did like why did you feel like you were a burden at such an age? So there's so many kids who are, you know are very precocious and just ain't got no problem asking mm-hmm. their parents for anything. Where did that come from for you? Do you think or are you still exploring that? I was an only child for 15 years. My brother and I are 15 years apart. Same parents. And I just understood that my family was a working class family. So, like, my dad worked, uh, and then my mom worked part-time because she would take me to school and pick me up from school. And so once I got old enough to come home by myself, then I was a latchkey kid. So I would go to school. She would take me to school in the morning, and then I would come home from school by myself. At at least, maybe I was at least, like, I want to say seven or eight. So I would come home for myself, take two buses home, and, you know, I knew what my snack was, and I would, you know, watch TV for an hour, and then I would do my homework. So I was very self-sufficient. And then also my grandmother, my grandmother had um, seven kids, and the four youngest are, uh, they're adopted, but they're also like 10, 11, 12 years older than me. So... So she would go and do a lot of, like, thrift shopping. So my grandmother, every once in a while, she would pick me up from school. And then we would go to, like, the thrift store and, like, buy clothes by the pound. So I just knew that my family didn't have a lot of money. And I went to school with kids who had, a lot, like, you know, like, the real Cosby kids. I went to a really, like, good public school that had a great program for gifted and talented students. So I would be in class, and, like, half of the kids, their parents were, like, doctors, lawyers, architects, engineers, and my mom worked at a department store, and my dad was, like, a counselor. 
And then the other half, like their parents might have had like drug problems or whatever, but then he had like a grandmother that took care of him. So I knew that I was kind of in the middle. I knew that I wasn't like dirt poor, but I knew that I didn't have access to like extravagance. And I think for me, I never wanted to make things harder on my parents because I knew they were very transparent with me about what we could and couldn't afford. So me asking for things and not being realistic of what they could afford would just be a headache. And then I would just have disappointment. So I think my life for a long time has always been about managing my expectations. I grew up the same. Yeah, disappointment. That is so strong. It's like, you you know, you want these things, but you don't want to also be told uh, no, mm-hmm. or we, we don't have it, or we can't afford it, or how are we supposed to get that? Because then also then with that comes the guilt if you do get it. Yeah. Because if I... Because if your parents give something to you, that means that they're taking away from something else. Maybe the lights don't get paid or there's not food or Mm -hmm. the rent and all that stuff. So you're weighing all those different things. But I would wait. Like, I would wait. I would wait until it was something I really, 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 really wanted. Because then I would say, look, I haven't asked for anything. Right, right. Can I get this one thing that I really want? And normally I would get it or some version of it. Mm -hmm. But I remember one time I was in high school and I wanted, I think it was a Columbia jacket. I think it was a Columbia jacket, and my mother got me like a Helly Hansen. I was like, "This, I only wanted one thing. Why?" And I had to wear it because she wasn't taking it back. Right, but I was just right. like, "I just wanted one thing, yeah. and I couldn't get in there." After that, I think actually I might have been like fifteen or sixteen. I think I stopped asking for stuff. Like so, even now, like they would say, "What do you want for Christmas?" I was like, "It doesn't matter. I don't want." Right, because I I don't want the 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 hype and the expectation of. Getting what you want, and then they mm-hmm. give you something a little below. You like, I nope, not yeah. yeah because I because when I want something, I want that, and yes. I don't want anything else. I don't mm-hmm. want a substitute. I don't want second place. Um, I want exactly what I asked for mm-hmm. because I don't want a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, I get that completely, and I get it. You know, she, you know, she was working hard, and you know, my family was going through like a tough time right at that point, so I couldn't really like have a fit, you know? I mean, right. she knew I was disappointed, but I could tell that she was sad because she was like, I couldn't get you what you really wanted. So then I felt bad, so I just had to mm. wear the Helly Hansen jacket. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and because my, my parents were the same way, where, like, my mom was transparent with me about the what we had and what we didn't mm-hmm. have and how much was coming in and uh, uh, ask your father for some money, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, it weighed heavily, and I think... Because I went to a private school, also, uh, I was. It made that really made me aware of what we had and didn't have mm-hmm. materialistic wise. I I never felt like, but I did in some way feel like my my relationship with my uh, my mom was stronger than some of the parents, uh, the yeah. kids with their parents. But just materialistic, like I didn't have a computer. All the kids had computers mm-hmm. uh, at their house, so I was like, "Ooh, there's a discrepancy here." But and and I think that's why, like in in cities that have high suicide rates, are cities where there's gross inequality because you're you're made aware all the time of what you have and don't mm-hmm. have. Versus in communities where, like third world countries, I, I went to Thailand. People don't have a lot there, and so everybody's happy. That's part of why they're happy because everybody's pretty much. On the same page, yeah. They, they value different things. They value family, and, yeah, and health, absolutely, and spirituality. But I was in Cuba a couple years ago, three years ago, and 
and they were just starting to get the change where you can actually make your own private money. Yeah. So like a lot of like basically in Cuba at the time, like I said three years ago, like people who were doing Airbnb mm-hmm. were making more money than doctors. Wow. Because in and for us, like by American and European standards, these Airbnbs, like I had a really great stay. It was a house. The husband and wife, they the wife made breakfast every morning. Like a you know, you pay like three extra dollars and she made a huge ass spread. Mm. Like huge. Mm-hmm. I mean big, like fill this whole table. Yeah. Just for me. And then um I think my room stay was maybe like twenty two to thirty dollars a night. And I had my own room with an AC in it and my own private bathroom. Mm. And they had maybe three or four rooms like that. So they had two houses and they had like three or four rooms in each house. So they're making a shit ton of money by You're Cuban right. standards. Right. And they have to pay a portion of that to the government, but they still, now they had income, like more income. And so I remember going on a tour and one of the women on the tour was like, yeah, things are changing now. People are starting to make, you know, cab, cab drivers make more than doctors. Airbnb people make more than doctors because when you work for the government, you have a, a, like a nine to five job. It, the rate is the rate. So all waiters make the same, whether you're a big time waiter or small time, you, everybody makes the same um, per job rate, mm. whatever the job is, that's just the rate. Wow. So when you have jobs that have like an influx of uh, fares or fees, you, you make more. And so she said, it's harder now because now people are starting to realize that they don't have. Because whereas everybody was on the same level, now she's like, now kids go to school and they have like cell phones or like, you know, you used to say, she's like, when I was a kid, we would say, what did you do this week? And they were like, oh, we went to the park. And it's like, this is the park that everybody went to on a weekend and we have like a picnic with their family. But now it's like, your family has more money. So you went and did something else. And so now she was afraid that like, it was going to create such big problems because like now there's going to be, even though it's a communist, a communist and like third world country, now there's going to be more like wealth gap. Right. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's going to come. Right. And, and the wealthy to... people will be playing at this park and the poor people yeah. be at that park. And so, you know, when you see how it can affect other people, like, yeah, it, sometimes materialism is not, is not the most beneficial thing to a society. Right. I mean, I think it's always the crux. I think when you want more than you should have, that's why you have like, Billionaire backlash now in America. You, you ever notice on social media? What everybody, do you mean? Like everybody's coming for billionaires now. Everybody's saying that we don't need billionaires and we mm, need we need um, right, equal right, wealth right. wealth dis- distribution. So, like uh, Diddy posted a picture of him and Jay Z being like, "What's better than you know a billionaire or something like that?" And people were like, "None." <laughs> <laughs> it's like because you really can't spend a billion dollars in your lifetime, right? But, but that's a whole other conversation. But I think that I think that now when you talk about like depression, especially in America, we have this idea of what we should be a level of success. And if you don't meet that level of success, then you're a failure and there's no room for gray. And I think if you look at other countries, especially European countries, or I think just any country outside of America, really, like people just take pride in what they do, but they don't let it define their level of success. Right. And right. it doesn't define who they are. Yeah. You know, I was, um, there's nothing better to me than someone who uh, is, quote-unquote, just a waiter or just Mm -hmm. a cashier. But you can tell they take pride in everything that they do. They take pride in how they greet you and how they look and how they show up to it. And you can tell this person um, may not be making uh, a lot of money or, you know, they're not wealthy by, 
you know, uh, capitalistic standards. But you can tell that, like, in life, they're just full of life and energy and uh, every interaction mm-hmm. counts, you know. Um, and that's something in, internal that you then can share externally. You know, he's not letting his job define him. Whereas in America, it's like, what do you do? Oh, well, you know, what else are you working on? Like, if you're not, it, it, you know, like, why, why can't I just be a waiter? But the problem <laughs> is, is that we don't, we, don't have so, we don't have social policy in place to give people equal footing in this country. So when you think about these people who are waiters in other places, especially, like, in European countries, like, they still have, like, great health care, and they have, like, government subsidies, or they have mm. access to, you know, higher education. Right. So the job is just th- something that they want to do, or they do it, because they don't have to worry about all these other things. And we right. have to worry about so many other things here. That's why a lot of people lose their minds because it's like, I have a job, but I still can't buy food for my family. How do you, speaking of losing minds, like, how do you stay, uh, you've been doing stand up for how long? Uh, nine years. Nine years. Mm-hmm. Wow, nine years. It, remarkable, truly remarkable. How long have um, you been doing it? Uh, almost 20. Wow. I know, but I feel like you, you have your voice, you, you know, you, you put, you got a book coming out, mm-hmm. like you're, you're, you definitely have embraced, um, feeling like a burden and then just being like, all right, well, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm, oh, I'm yeah, at this care. alone. I don't care anymore. So what does that mean anymore? What was that switch for you? How'd you go from like, I'm a burden. I don't want to like you know, weigh anybody down to like, I don't care anymore. And well, it's two, it's two parts to it. Being a burden to my family, thinking that I was a, thinking that I was a burden to my family just made me work harder and just get the things that I want for myself. So mm-hmm. now I don't ask them for anything mm-hmm. and they ask me for things and it's fine because I know that I can do it. You know, especially, you know, black women in America uh, have been the financial providers for their family extended and immediate Especially if you're a single black woman, people's perception is that you're just supposed to be able to just do for your family because you don't have your own family. Like, well, you don't have kids, so can I borrow a thousand dollars? Like, legit. Like, uh, you don't need it back, right? Right, right. They, like they you, say borrow, but that's a very loose term. Yeah, and right. I say no. When I say no, I mean no. If I can do it, I'll do it. I'll extend it. Um, there's certain people I. I'll just know if I give it to them, I'm just giving them money. And some people I know that I can, I'll get that money back, you know. And if the roles are reversed and I need something, I know they will look out for me. So, but I think when you are a single woman, especially, you know, being black, because black women have higher, uh, higher education rates in the black community. Mm-hmm. We have higher earning power over, you know, hundred more $100,000 a year type positions. So when you look at the statistics and then you're like, well, then why are they single? they have the jobs and they have the education but it's like yeah but it's completely unbalanced in our community when you think about like well who is supposed to be my partner so if I sit around and wait for somebody to save the day I'm just gonna be stuck I gotta do it for myself which is why black women have that like I'm a strong black woman ethos which has been drilled into our mind it's not like some shit you just make up like you've been taught early like just do for yourself absolutely so when it comes to my family I just do for myself and then I can extend whatever courtesy I can. So that's why it's like I'm not worried about them doing stuff for me. But then when it comes to the real world, it's like I don't need anyone's acceptance of me anymore. Because I was bullied as a kid. I was fat as a kid. And then I just got to a point where it's like, why the fuck do I care about what I think? Like, I, my issues that I've had have always been, like, self-imposed. It's never been like, well, this person said this about me, so I need to change. It's like, no, I just want to be a better version of myself or I want to 
feel more comfortable in my skin. It's always stemmed from me. It's never been a critique from anybody else. Even when I was my heaviest, it was never somebody being like, oh, Chloe's fat. It was just like, I want to be in better shape for myself. I have so many questions. That's why there's a pause. Um, did you always feel like that, though, when you were being bullied? I mean, uh, I, or, was, or was there a switch? I was bullied tremendously in elementary school. And then uh, about, like, the fifth grade, the one girl who just was relentless, I beat her up. And then I had, like, this cathartic experience where it's just like, I, I don't care anything. So it, to the What was the bullying? Can we, can we go back? Like... Like, what was it like? Um, uh, I was big. I was tall. I was the tallest. I was the tallest kid in class, like boy or girl. I was the biggest. I was at the back of the line. I was at the back of the line. <laughs> and I was the youngest. My birthday's <sighs> December 28th. So I had to deal with, you know, the psychological warfare of dealing with kids who were pretty much almost a year older than me, but were in the same mm. school year, which is that why they cut it off now. So when you have a kid that's going to school, they have to be five by like, September 1st or something like that because then you have to wait another year because they realize emotionally and mentally you can't have a four and a half year old and a five and a half you know like you know it makes a difference it makes a huge difference so so there was a lot of things I just weren't aware of like socially I was really like a, a real big introvert I'm still an introvert but I just didn't I didn't have like the street smarts because I grew up in a Hasidic Jewish neighborhood so a lot of things I just didn't pick up on. I didn't know the slang. I didn't know the hot songs. I didn't have the fashion sense. You know, I was just oddball all the way around, you know. So they picked on me because of that. Um, and then my size. And then I was the youngest. Um, so so you can't hide. Like, you know, like you, you know, kids get picked on, they hide it. But when you're tall, there's no hiding. There's no hiding it. And, um, and then I just wasn't quick. You know, like I just didn't have like the the smart mouth. Right. I went to church, you know, like I was a church kid. So I just was, I was a social misfit all the way across the board. Mm. But then I just got to the point where it was like, I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of like getting picked on. I'm tired of complaining to the teachers and they're not saying anything because they look at my size and they look at the girl who tormented me and she's half my size. So they're going to think I was. And then I think the most important thing that like got me through all of that is that my mother always believe me. She never, like, if she got a bad report, like, oh, Chloe got into a fight today at school, it was never like, what the fuck did you do? My mother never cursed at me anyway. She just, my mother's like, save, sanctify, fill with the Holy Ghost. She was not a cursor. <laughs> but she would never be like, what did you do? It was like, tell me what happened. Mm. And she always listened to me and believed me and trusted me. And she was like, my daughter's not going to just smack somebody in the mouth for no reason. Like, they had to have said something. Like, she reached a boiling point. And so she gave me a lot of support in that way. And then when things got really bad, I got transferred out of that school and I went to another school, which was perfect because I was able to like reinvent myself. And then I found like a group of girls who were all big like me. And we just used to share chicken wings at lunchtime. And then I went to being like, well, now I don't care because I got a crew who supports me. And, you know, then when you're, then when you're hit, when you hit puberty and it's like, oh, well, you big and fat. And all you got to say is so. And they have nothing else to say. And then you're like, okay, but now what can we t- what can we change in this dynamic? Because me being big and fat ain't going to change. So what else do you want to talk about? You just so- take ownership. <laughs> I just took ownership of my body being like, this is what it is. There's something so powerful about so. Because mm-hmm. it's true. It's like, so, so what? And, and no one ever has a comeback for so. 
And even, you know, it was beautiful about that. I was thinking even with the way we talk to ourselves of like, you know, if you, if you have uh, self-defeating thoughts or self-sabotaging thoughts where, you know, like I'm lazy or I'll never be, it's like, so it's like taking ownership of it. And then, all right, so what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's something very powerful and dismissive about it. It's like, so, cause they don't know. I, I mean, when I used to substitute teach, um, sometimes I have a kid who was being bullied and they would say, uh, Mr. Flowers, such and such, uh, said I was stupid. And I would say, uh, go back and ask them to prove it. Mm-hmm. Tell them, tell them, to, tell them five ways that you're stupid. Yeah. And the kid would go back and the other kid would be like, and it's like, oh, okay. Well, then they, their statement uh, was baseless. Yeah. And then the kid would feel better. It's like, you know, when you really start to dig deep at what people say to you or what you even say to yourself, you find that sometimes there's no weight or there is there's something deeper underlying mm-hmm. there. But to explore it, but... Uh... <laughs> but then I also realized that... I realized early on that people like to deflect and they like to, you know, project their insecurities on the other person. So... Mm. I was. I, they thought I was an easy target, but mm. then when I realized I didn't give a fuck, mm. then they stopped. I'm telling you, I've been big, and when I say big, I know you guys can't see me, but like, I've been overweight as a child, mm. and then I got into basketball and I slimmed down, and then I would go up and down, you know, like anywhere from twenty, thirty, fifty pounds. So I've always, and I don't say, I don't like to say struggle, struggle, because I never fluctuated. Felt, I fluctuated with my weight, but I never felt like so over. Like, there was a moment where I was at my heaviest, and I had, like, a breaking point, and then I got a personal trainer, and then it was, like, a, you know, year-long process of me, like, eating healthy and doing all that stuff. So I know how to, like, check myself before I get too far gone, but I say all that to say, even at my heaviest, I never really had issues with, like, getting attention from people. Like, and I hate to say it's so brashy, but, like, people still wanted to fuck me, so I never was, like, in the house crying into like gallons of ice cream like niggas still wanted to be so I never had that problem of being like nobody wants me it was like no somebody wants me I just don't want them but I have options what were you at your heaviest about two probably 275 so six one two seventy five. Yeah. but like it, knees hurt like because you know when you play basketball when you play a sport and you gain weight that shit is immediate like Knees hurt, winded, going up steps. Like, yeah, like it was. I was like, I have to. I'm uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable in my body, but I had a breakup. I broke up with a guy. We were together for a while, and then like, and we do actually throughout the relationship, I steadily gained weight because when you know when you get into a relationship, right. you just like you can take out Absolutely. and sit on the couch, and so it was like two years of that, and I had gained like 50 pounds, on top of already being like probably like 20, 30 pounds overweight from what I was before. And crazy thing is, during our relationship, I got him a trainer, and he lost 100 pounds. <laughs> so he was looking good, and I was big. And even still, he loved my dirty drawers. So, like, I'm glad that I never had the issue of feeling, like, alone and isolated and, like, undesirable. I've never been undesirable. That's what I'm looking for. Right, right, even right. If I, even if I wasn't happy with myself, there was always somebody being like, you look fine. Like, I don't know what your problem is. Right. I was never sloppy. I was never, like, disheveled. There was no stains on my clothes. My gut was never hanging out over my pants. Not like, I mean, it was there, but it wasn't, like, visibly, like, peeking through my shirt. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, when people yeah, got their gut out yeah, through their T-shirt. Yeah. Like, it was never that. But I never had that problem. I think my self-esteem issues came from, 
me from time to time wanting to still be able to fit into like what everybody else was doing and looking and mm. saying, but then I realized that I stand out and that's what makes me unique. So I'll never try to compromise who I am. The, <laughs> you know, uh, to go, to, to go back to the relationship and, you know, we, we always say like people gain weight in relationships, but also realize like, it's not that the relationship, at least I'm recognizing it myself, it's not that the relationship uh, makes me put on weight. It's that I, I recognize I wasn't intentional about who I was going into a relationship with mm-hmm. and how much that influences whether you're going to gain. Because, like, you know, like if I, if I date someone who's not that active, then over time I'm going to start to pick up that inactivity and everything's going to be more food-related and more sedentary, or and we're going to put on weight. Or you become resentful of that person. And then you become resentful, yeah. right. And so, you know, now, like, <laughs> when I'm, I'm on these dating apps and I meet a girl, the, my first date, I'm always like, let's go hiking on the first oh, date. And gosh. it weeds it weeds out the ones who I'm like, there's... But you know they just think you're being cheap. Uh no, I don't. I don't really get that. For, I mean, I've I never got that response. I mean, well, I've, had, I mean I've had women say yes. Well, the thing is, also, it's a different. LA is a very different culture. It's a different so culture. hiking is like going for coffee, right? But in, in New York, that's a yeah. New York, you couldn't get away with no. that. Yeah, we, that like, would be. Where the fuck hike? <laughs> where Central Park? Get out of here with the with the horses and the rats. Absolutely, on. absolutely. Like so, hiking is like going getting coffee. Yeah. Yeah. That's the equivalent. That's yeah, the I would do. Yeah, I would have to definitely change my strategy in, mm-hmm. in New York. It's all about location. Yeah, because they'd be like, he ain't got no money. <laughs> he want to go for a walk. He ain't got no money. Where we walking to? What Park Avenue for what? Look at windows. Right. No. Is, there, is there a Starbucks at the top of Mm-mm. the? Uh, <laughs> um. So you you know so now you're taking ownership, right? Yeah. You're, you're at that place where you're taking ownership, and you're you got your tribe. Which is very important when you are, you know, this goes back to community. We always think about, we're always talking about getting money, getting paid, getting a promotion. But we also need to get a tribe. We need to surround ourselves with people who make us feel like we are, that we do fit in instead of us trying to fit in. It's just uh, being around that tribe. But I think it was easier for me to come to terms with not fitting in because I physically didn't fit in. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it was... It was literally and figuratively, I yeah. did not fit in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my mother always told me, like, you, you're not like everybody else. That's just what it is. But as a kid, it wasn't, it wasn't so much about my personality or my viewpoint. It was more about my physicality. Like, literally, you don't fit in. You can't wear what the kids are wearing. You're too big. Mm-hmm. Like, I could barely fit under the desk. Like, my legs are too long. You know, so, so like, when you have that and that's ingrained in you, like, well, I just don't fit in. But I have to embrace my body. It's not, you know, I think I asked my mom, I was like, can we cut my legs? You know how you like, can I get be shorter? And, you know, she was like, no, like, this is, you have to. But, I, but I've been like the tallest kid in class since like kindergarten damn near. Mm-hmm. So I had like six years of being physically out of norm. Right. So I had to come to terms with that because I couldn't change it. And then the psychological part of it being like, well, of course I think differently because I have a different experience because of the way I'm physically made. So I just, I think I came to terms with it much earlier than most people would have come to terms with it because I haven't grown an inch since I was 12 since I've been, I've been six one since I was 12 years old. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I've been tall since I was young, too, but I don't know if I had reached. I'm six one and a half. I don't know if I reached it when I was. You gotta add that half inch. Yeah. That that half inch means everything. It don't mean nothing. It don't mean nothing. So uh, you go from you feeling like a burden, and do you still have some of that? Uh, lingering no, at all? I just don't ask. I don't ask people for anything, right. um, which is a byproduct of not wanting to be a burden. And I think even now, if I say like there was a time, maybe like a year ago, where like financially I was like tapped out. Like I had stopped. I had purposely stopped doing as many road shows because I was like I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. And then like I had a job offer, but then the the project got canceled. So like I was like wow, I'm really counting my coins. And I remember telling my mom, was like, yeah, I'm like struggling right now. And she was like, well, if you need any help, let me know. And I actually had to be like, I actually do need some help. But I was like the first time in my entire adult life. And she knows like if I say I need help, then I really need help. And so I think that I still need to know when to ask for help, but I'm also so determined that I would figure something out. And like she loaned me the money and I gave it like back to her in like a month. But I would probably just do something else. But it's harder now because being a comedian, it's not like you can just pick up a job and, like, you know, get $15 an hour. Because even if you're not making a lot of money, you're still, like, on the road and your check is coming. So it's not like I can get a job and get, like, seasonal work. But that's like, that was just one experience where I was like, all right, it's good to be able to have somebody that knows that I'm not just, you know, blowing smoke. Right. It, it, um, I'm just not getting into that place where I can ask for help. Mm-hmm. And it feels good. Like, And I had to, I had to ask my mom for help a couple of times financially. And you go, oh, all right. They, they, you know, when it, when it, when it really comes down yeah. to it. Because you don't want to be a failure. And, I, right. and you realize that they know you're not a failure. They understand that this happens to people mm. and you don't have to be so hard on yourself. And they trust that you're going to, like, you know, pay it, pay it back or at least pay it forward. How are you defining failure? Like, what is that? Is it is failure? Is so? Is that what that means for you? Like asking for help? Is that failure to you? It means that I've I've failed at being able to provide for myself. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't label myself like an end all be all failure, but like at right. this time at this task, I'm unable to do X, Y, and Z. So mm. that's a failure, mm. even if it's momentarily. And then I just make sure that I'm not in that position again. So like, if I'm in a position where money is tight and I'm not able to pay a bill. I'm never going to not pay that bill again. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, this month again, I didn't pay that bill. So I just, I won't, I'm not the type to just be like, fuck it. It's been two months. It's going to be three. Like, no, I can't do that. You figure it out. Figure it out. And, you know, but, you know, and I, I, I look at life like that too, like where I'm like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta figure it out. But also look at, you know, I have friends who are wealthy and I, you know, people who, who are wealthy. And they're asking for help all the time in different, in different ways. Not, you know, in, in a, like even financially in their business, like they, they, they want tax cuts. And uh, like Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos with Amazon hasn't paid a federal tax in the past two years. And this dude's worth billions of dollars. I know. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's like, there's a lot wrong with that. There's a lot wrong with that. But that's like <laughs> passive help, right? Yeah. Like you, like he hired people to help him figure out how to not pay any federal taxes. But see, it's the difference of being, the difference of saying, I can't do this is different than saying, I shouldn't have to do this. Mm. So the rich are like, I shouldn't have to pay taxes. And the right. poor are like, I can't pay my taxes. So 
both feel like it's a dire situation, but one is still coming from a place of privilege. Powerful. And uh, where are you now with your, because we did height yoga. Yes. Uh, yesterday. And are you, do you feel 100% comfortable with your body? Because I realize no matter what shape I'm in, um, there's, I had, there's a level of discomfort for me in terms of, uh, I used to be like in incredible shape or like I, you know, I had the six pack and all that stuff. And I hated the attention. Mm. I absolutely hated it. And even <laughs> on stage, I felt like I felt objectified. And I was reading about D'Angelo, and you mm. remember when D'Angelo oh, yeah, had the six back. pack? Oh, yeah. And he said that... Uh, it was like the worst thing he could have done. The worst thing. He went off in the woods, literally gained 200 pounds, drank himself almost to death. Mm-hmm. And now he's like in a healthy weight, healthy shape, and doing what he but loves But he's to on do. stage with a poncho. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Legit he, poncho. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, part, I think part of why I'm always covered up. Like, there's... Uh, a level of mm-hmm. I, I want you to hear what I'm saying versus uh, looking at me. Yes, is, I agree. Is there a uh, is there a level of discomfort for you on? I don't think I don't know if there's this. There is a little bit of discomfort, but I think one part of it is I've never been able to get anything done from my body. Mm. I've never been able to to monetize my sexiness or shape or anything. I never got anything because like, oh, you look good. Let me put you on the show. So I've always had to work for everything that I've gotten. And I think being on stage, one of the big reasons why I actually lost the weight when I was at my heaviest is because I had started getting into comedy. And I remember somebody saying that you are a brand, you are a business. And when you step on stage, you are presenting yourself as a business. It's not just like I have something to say, like you're a total package. So you need to take you know, take some pride into how you present yourself and figure out how you want to be, how you want to present yourself. And then the other part of me was like, well, I'm really big right now, but like size-wise, physically, I'm I'm really big right now. Um, and I'm just starting out and I don't want to get labeled as a sassy, fat, black comedian. Mm. Because I don't have any jokes about skinny bitches and I love eating food. I'm not about, I'm not about to like, you know, eat chicken wing on stage. Like, that's just not my personality at all. So when people would see me come on stage, be this really big woman, they expected me to be like, I suck dick with a bib. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not, that's not who I am. So I was like, I need to, I need to lose weight because also, because we are working in a very superficial industry, it's like the size in which you become famous is the size people want you to stay. Absolutely. So if I got if I blew up and I'm, you know, pushing 300 pounds, it's going to be a whole marketing PR campaign strategy. I joined, you know, Weight Watches in order for people to be like, oh, yeah, she lost 60 pounds. And we'll accept it. So I was very conscious about my body and my health and how I want to present. Once I realized that I was really going to stick with comedy, I was like, I need to really work on how I want to present myself to the world. And then when it comes to being objectified is, I know that I'm tall, and I know that people see me as, you know, they don't really realize how tall I am on stage because I'm elevated. But when I say it, then they're like, oh, wow. But I also never want to wear anything too fitted, too tight, because I like to be able to move. Uh, And I don't really like showing my boobs on stage because I feel like that will draw some attention. So, I mean, I'll wear like a top that's low, but I don't. Necessarily push him up. I mean, I had him out this week because it was like Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you was feeling sexy. I saw you. Um, I know you 
was on to me. And but normally I don't have my boobs out. Mm. Normally it's like a shirt, like a collar, like a you know, like a crew neck yeah. or a round neck shirt or something like that. I don't really push sexuality like that on stage. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like uh, I don't. That's why I wear long sleeves because mm-hmm. I I realize like the thing that women are most attracted to are arms. And I have I you know I don't want to brag, but I got I got some nice guns. Brag got- alert. <laughs> But I will. I got some guts, <laughs> so I, I had to cover them up just to make everybody feel comfortable. Yeah, but even in yoga yesterday, like I, I think yoga's helped me embrace like the last little part of my body that I wasn't really feeling. Uh, what's, what do you mean? Because when you do like certain moves in yoga, you have to. I had to realize that even though my body looked a certain way, I was still able to physically move. You're right. Like everybody else was. Wow. So whenever you think like, oh, if I could just, like I have a gut. If I like, if I could just lose my gut, the world would be better. But it's like, no, nah, I'm doing the same fucking moves as everybody else. And this bitch is a twig. Yeah. So, so this gut is not, at this state, I'm saying at this stage of my life. Like I'm probably like 20 pounds away from like a great goal, you know, but I'm still fine. <laughs> but I feel like now I'm like, well, these 20 pounds are not going to make or break me. Because I still can function and move. I'm still healthy. I can still, you know, I have good cardiovascular. Like, I can still function in the world, and it's not a hindrance. It's just vanity at this point. And so I think, especially when you do hot yoga and those mirrors are all the way around Mm -hmm. and you strike a pose, you're like, damn, I look like that from the back? Okay, I guess. But, you know, fuck it. Like, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. It's not. It's not. Because you see that same girl who's like 100 pounds who can't hold the move because she doesn't have the musculature. Mm-hmm. <coughs> uh, uh, what happened? What? What? All right. Still recording. Oh, this fell out. Hold on, boys. It goes have a little technical You're going to have to edit. You're going to edit this shit. I'm telling you. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Leo does not want to edit his podcast. Here's here's why. Here's why I don't want to edit it. There's there's a a perfectly good reason. Because, and we talked about this, I have perfectionistic tendencies. And once I start down a rabbit hole of trying to tweak, then, like, it, it just gets out of hand. And then I go, this isn't worth it. It'll never be. And then I don't put it out at all. So I've been in very intentional my my mantra i have it on my wall is i dare to share uh i dare to share my talents with the world mm-hmm. and and it doesn't matter and that means whether it's perfect or not i want to share it and i also like to keep the you know the moments where the the mic falls out and all this stuff in there because um a lot of times I feel like people don't do the things that they want to do mm-hmm. because they're always comparing themselves to, to the next person, to the next person yeah. and the person that are like people ain't comparing themselves to uh, their their neighbor, somebody at the level, you know, basketball, like they're comparing themselves to Jordan. They're comparing themselves to like Da Vinci and, you know, uh, uh, you know, Oprah, people at the top of their game. And what they, what they, so they never had a chance to really see the struggle yeah. and all the mistakes and all the deleted footage and the bloopers and, and all that stuff. So I keep that in there to remind people, like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be flawless. Life isn't perfect. It's not. Um, there was an article recently about uh, this guy who was a lawyer, and he took his life. And a lot of lawyers take their life because uh, people who go on a law usually have perfectionistic mm-hmm. uh, tendencies. 
And so when things aren't just right and everything's not just lined up, um, they unhinge and, uh, and, it's, and, and because they think they have to do everything themselves and I'll fix this and if, you know, um, they end up completing suicide. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I definitely like to, I keep my uhs and my ums in the, and, you know, but I, I try to, you know, I'm not, I don't want the podcast to be all, Horrible and have a bunch of imperfections, no, it's not horrible. but you, you know you eat. need a couple. You'll adjust your levels at least. You yeah, I, I, one day I'll uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> she, you'll show me. You'll show me after. Like this. I showed you how to do yeah. our movie, and he made a goddamn um, Scorsese trailer. See, and you know what? And and part of why I've always uh, hated asking for help is, you know, for you, you you know, it made you feel like a failure. But I hated feeling stupid. I felt like if I was asking. They'd be like, oh, he don't know anything. Mm. And and my ego is wrapped in knowing things. I, I realize that. Like I love knowing I love knowing something and then being able to share it. And so that's why like I love to read and I like to listen to podcasts and talk to different people. Like I get excited about learning something and then being able to share it. And but on the flip side of that, I um it it pains me to not know something that I feel that I feel like I should know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So then I end up not asking the, the questions. But then I see people who are ten steps behind me, leap twenty steps in front of me because they do ask the questions. Yeah, you you know, ask absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. Yeah. So you know, and can you can you elaborate on that? Because I think when people hear hear you say. You know, you're a strong black woman and you um, and you're going to do it yourself. That doesn't mean you are doing it yourself. That doesn't mean you aren't you don't have mentors or reaching out. Right. Can you can you elaborate on that? I definitely have mentors. I mean, I've had mentors in every field that I was in. I was a journalist for 10 years before I got into stand up comedy. I had a community of supporters and, you know, I was a part of different organizations. I was a part of the National Association of Black Journalists. The New York chapter of that um, organization as well. So I had college professors and you know top editors of other publications that I could always defer to when I had issues or questions about my career and uh, take me out to lunch and all that stuff. And then same thing in comedy. I have some OGs who I can call on when I have questions about you know the next step of my career, and they'll extend a hand to me. But I also it's the same thing like you know asking my mom for help or my parents, both of them for help. It's like. It's I only do it when I really, really don't have a clear answer from myself, and I need somebody to be that tiebreaker, and I can go to them and talk to them about it. And I have close friends, especially in comedy. I have really close friends in comedy too, who I can talk to, and you know, share our vulnerabilities because being in this business, any any business where you put yourself out for people to consume and judge and critique, you have to be vulnerable. And you need to be able to not take everything personally and not, you know, try to measure yourself up to everybody that's like in the same range of career that you're in or ahead of you or below you because you'll end up driving yourself crazy. So I think because of comedy, I'm definitely been much happy, the, the happiest I've ever been in my life as far as like working. I mean, I love journalism. I did. I loved it. But there's something a little bit more fulfilling about 
being able to stand on stage and not having a filter or not having an editor who's going to like, you know, cut my words down and I can just say what I'm going to say to the people and they have an immediate reaction to me. That's very gratifying. But and also the lifestyle of being a comedian has given me a lot of like time throughout the day or, you know, to plan my schedule. And I do so much self-care on a daily basis. I mean, I try to meditate. Um, I just started uh, practicing or studying the art of Reiki. And I do hot yoga a couple times a week. I have a personal trainer. So, like, if you were to look at my daily schedule, I, I pretty much have the life of, like, a like a kept white wife. You know, I'm in yoga pants every day. And then I change my clothes around five or six and go and perform. Or I go on the road. But, you know, I have a very stress-free life. So I'm very privileged to have a very stress-free life. What got you into Reiki? <sighs> What got me into Reiki? Um, I've always had this desire to want to heal people. Like if I saw someone distressed, I would always be like, I wish I could do something or say something to help that person. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times I can verbally, I can talk people off the ledge. I'm very good at talking people off the ledge and giving them like, you know, critical analysis without, you know, I don't, I've learned to not say, well, you should do this because that's yeah. from a very judgmental place. Yeah. But I know how to hear people and, and say their words back to them. And, and I think that comes from years of being a journalist, of like knowing how to interview people and hear things and hear what they're saying out loud, maybe even for the first time. Because, you know, sadly, we don't really practice the art of conversation anymore, which is why podcasts, I think, are so are powerful and so popular now because people are being trained to listen to long-form conversations without interjecting. And... Some part, probably, I can't remember, it was a key moment, but I have a girlfriend who is got her Reiki certification, and she, you have to do a certain amount of hours. And so she was like, well, can I, you know, can I do a session with you, because this goes towards my accreditation. And I said, sure. And I had never done it before, and I didn't really understand what it was, but, you know, I laid on the massage table, and she turned on some, like, you know, new age music, lit a candle, closed my eyes, and she just started, you know, doing the work. And basically, Reiki is like a transference of energy from the healer to the receiver. Mm -hmm. And it goes into this whole thing about, you know, the social consciousness of the planet and the universe and energy that is interchangeable and you can draw from the planet. And it, it's, it sounds kooky, but if, you, if you've ever walked into a room and you got a feeling like something don't feel right, that's the same thing as probably like, you know. Absolutely. I mean, there have been so many times, right? Somebody walks in this way when we were yeah. playing uh, mm -hmm. roulette. Yeah. We're, uh, Chloe and I were playing roulette, and I, I was teaching her for the first time. She's addicted now. <laughs> and she got a problem. No, yeah. I don't. <laughs> um, and we were doing very well, and the energy at the table was amazing. Everybody was, like, laughing and supporting each other. Mm -hmm. And that's when you know people are gambling with money that they can gamble mm -hmm. with versus... Anyway, this couple walks up, and completely changed yeah, the energy. the guy was very problematic, very defensive. They weren't even playing. They just were watching. Right. But he just he just was so combative to the to the dealer because the dealer asked for his ID, and it just was this whole thing. 
it just was this whole thing. And then I was like, after this hand. And then the dealer switched out, and I was like, oh, it's time to go. Yeah. We, <laughs> I mean, we doubled our money, and we walked away. But, but you know, energy is real, and people can transfer energy. And Reiki is the transference of energy with healing properties. It's all about the intention of the healer to the receiver. Mm. Um, and, you know, it basically, you align with the areas that your body needs it. And so, you know, basically, she did my seven chakras, and... Like, I just remember feeling this intense heat over my third eye. And I literally was like, does she have, like, a hot stone in her hand? Like, that's how hot it was. I thought, I thought she had wow. hot stones. Yeah. And so I remember asking her. She was like, no, that's you just have a lot of energy build up, like, in your third eye. And so your third eye is basically, like, um, one of the chakras, and, and it's supposed to, like, represent, like, intuition and stuff. And I've always been a very intuitive person to the point where... I've had experiences where I, I always know when a woman's pregnant. Like, I can look at a woman and be like, she's pregnant. And so I just know not to say it because sometimes, like, they didn't. Now, is it because she's eight months pregnant? No, or like, she'd be, like, like, eight days pregnant like and you like, two boom. Weeks, yeah. Wow. I knew my mother was pregnant before my dad did with my brother. Wow. I remember, it's a funny story. I walked into, um, I had, I was 15, like, 14, 15 years old. Yeah. Yeah, I was, like, 14 years old and, um. It was like freshman year high school, like spring semester. Mm -hmm. And I was out of school for a week because I had the flu. Mm. I had the flu. And my mother was like, well, since you have the flu, this is a great time for you to go to the dentist and get your teeth extracted because you're getting braces. She's evil. Yeah, because um, you sick. They, that's the worst time to go to like, the well, dentist. She was like, you're already out. They about to be in your teeth. Yep. And every <laughs> She's like, you out You out for a week. Let's get, all, get it all done. Get it all done, right? So I had the flu. I had a tooth pulled. <laughs> I had to get started getting my braces in, and so I was out for out of school for like a good week, maybe a week and a half, like really like sick. And I remember I finally started feeling better, and I left my room, and I walked into my mother's bedroom, and she was laying on her bed like watching TV, and I was going in and they'd be like, "Mom, I feel better. Like I'm starting to feel better." And I came in excited, like, "Mom," and I, "You're pregnant, legit, just like that." She said, "Shut the door. Shut up." I didn't tell your father yet. And I was like, why could you do this to me? Why would you have another baby? <laughs> I was so I upset. can't even get what I'm asking for. Now yeah, you about to. Yeah, no, I was just like, why? Like, I'm 15. I'm about to be out of here. Like, why would you do this? This is dumb. Yeah. And so I've always known, even like, I just always know when people were pregnant. And so I think I just really wanted to tap into like my, like my spiritual gifts. I do believe that people have spiritual gifts. Absolutely. I think that. We all, uh, we, you know, when you look at ancient civilizations, like, they were doing spirit work and, and, you know, studying the stars and dealing with, like, you know, ancient deities and all that stuff that we aren't really connected to because of social media and technology and, you know, organized religion kind of gets away. You know, you can't pray to a god if the people know that they have um, special abilities, too. Mm. So I think in order for you to push a monolithic religion on people, especially people who come from places where they have like multiple gods and ceremonies and, you know, prayers and all this stuff. You have to say, you guys don't have power. This is the only thing that has power. And then they have to believe that this is the only thing that has power. So I think that we need to get back to tapping into our unique abilities. And I really wanted to do that with Reiki. And I want to be able to like, you know, heal people and heal myself. And when I say that, I'm not like, you know, I'm not fixing broken bones, but it's like spiritual energy. There's so much power in just 
being touched mm-hmm. in a hug. Yeah. Uh, we usually stop at the handshake. Yeah. Uh, and most people don't even want to shake hands. You ever you go shake somebody's hands, they give you the three fingers or something. I like hate. That. I hate. Or the fist bump. I mean, we shook a lot of hands last night. A lot of hands, yeah. Good energy. I didn't feel any bad energy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was actually, it was really great energy after that show uh, last night. Um, But, and then, you know, every now and again, I I get some people who just want a hug, and you could just feel it in their body language. They're so excited, and they just like, they have this open body language. I just asked, I'm like, can I, can I, can I give you a hug? And some people are like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some people don't know how to even have that interaction physically because we've shunned it in mm. society. We've shunned it in our in mm-hmm. our society. So mm-hmm. I, I think that just being able to connect, that's why they tell you to do like skin-to-skin therapy with newborns. It's crucial. It's crucial for newborns to have skin-to-skin therapy with their parents so they can bond. And they used to do it just with the mom, but they do it with the dad now too. So a lot of dads, like when the baby's first born, he'll take his shirt off and he'll hold the baby wow. so that they can feel that connection. Yeah. So you, when all those things are innate to us and then you stop doing it, then you become so isolated and disconnected. And so I've been really trying to work on my, my spirit work, you know, all of that, like, metaphysical stuff and crystals, you know, like I told you, get some sage and some Palo Santo. Let me tell you, she, so... This is why you got to start wearing black. <laughs> you got to start wearing black because black absorbs why? all energy. Black oh. absorbs all energy. And so you need to, even if you wear black, you should wear white underneath because you need a barrier to deflect from the bad energy. So white propels negative energy. Black absorbs all energy. So either you start wearing wearing white a white T-shirt underneath your clothes or you wear, like, some protective crystals. You need to wear, like, obsidian. You need to wear, yeah. Some, you say some crystals? Crystals, like a little crystal necklace. You live in L.A., you got crystals in every goddamn corner in L.A. That's get, hilarious. Get you a crystal necklace, go there. And also, also if anybody's listening here when it comes to crystals, when you go into a crystal shop or like a like a healing shop with like you know sage and candles and all that stuff, and you want to pick a crystal out, the best way to go about picking a crystal is just to walk around and see where you stop, mm. and you and you will be drawn to the thing that you need. So it's not really good to say I'm going to a store and I need X, Y, and Z. You just go to the store, you walk around, you pick it up, you hold it, you see how it feels. Sometimes your hand will get hot, you'll get a little tingle sensation. You know, if you clear your mind, you have to clear your mind and say I'm here to pick a crystal or find what I need, and you'll stop at the crystal that you need, and you'll be surprised when you look up the meaning and you'll be like, oh shit, I do need that. Here's what's crazy: I just did a show in a yoga studio, mm-hmm. um, and it was, you know, part of it, they had a little crystal shop. Actually, they had a huge crystal shop. It was almost like a, a art gallery type of thing. And I remember stopping at this. It was a purple crystal, but it was it was a large, mm-hmm. round, and out. So I don't know what it is. It had like like ridges inside. Yeah, it was it's ridges. probably amethyst. Amethyst. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? What is that? What does the amethyst mean? I don't remember off the top of my head. All right, now I'm not trying to say nothing wrong. To right, right, right. I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm going to look that up. Uh, all right, so yeah, because you know, you encouraged me, you know, because I, I do this podcast and and I do talk about uh, the podcast and uh, suicide when I'm on um, when I'm on stage as part of my comedy routine. I mean, it's not the large part, but I, I do mention it. Um, you encouraged me, Chloe, to get Sage and mm-hmm. Palo Santo because you said I. 
because uh, I'm, I'm attracting so much energy mm-hmm. so, and I'm wearing all black mm-hmm. that I have to have a way of uh, cleansing yourself. Cleansing myself. Because let's get to the details. The first two nights of the show, you were selling merch and people were coming up to you and they were telling you their testimony and they wanted hugs and some people cried and yes. they shared their experience with you about whether, you know, firsthand experience of losing someone to suicide. And then you go home and get in your bed. And I'm like, you have all of that on you. Mm. And you just need to cleanse yourself because if you don't, then you start you start having those thoughts of being like, well, am I doing enough or am I helping more people or what can I do differently? And I feel bad because these people don't have the, you know, you end up absorbing all of that stuff and you want to do more than you can actually take on. So it's good to, good to cleanse yourself. Uh, I looked up amethyst. Yes. Uh, it means has healing powers to help with physical ailments, emotional issues and in energy healing and chakra balancing. Uh, Amethyst crystals are primarily associated with physical elements of the nervous system, the curing of nightmares and insomnia, and balancing the crown chakra. Mm. And don't you have... I got all that. I got got, uh, six bulging discs in my neck. I have a fusion in my C3 through 5. I tore my right meniscus. Uh, sleep is a, I don't really get nightmares. But you I don't do. sleep well. Um, well, you know what? I actually sleep great here in Vegas. Mm-hmm. I don't sleep well in LA and I don't know if it's the air quality or what it is, but also. You should get an air purifier in your room. I should get one. I'm going to write that down too. I will, I will get one. Not should. I will get an air uh, purifier and add plants to my room. Mm-hmm. Um, but also think that I, and I and I know this, I'm much more engaged uh, when I'm in Vegas. Like I wake up every day, and I'm so afraid of falling into uh, the the underbelly of Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, things can spiral out of control very quickly here, and because I'm I'm so hyper aware and so afraid of it that I make sure that. You know, I have full days. I have, you know, I, I go to yoga, I go to a vegan spot. Like I, I plan out everything, and I'm not really, I'm not really doing nothing. Yeah. We're back in LA. My guard is down, so I'm just kind of chilling. Like I'll yeah. get to it later. And so I think because I'm not really using all of my energy through the day, then at night I'm, I'm left kind of feeling mm-hmm. restless. We're here. I'm tapped out. And then we yeah. have two shows every night. So it takes a lot of energy, and then I'm I'm ready for bed. Mm-hmm. You know, I take my bath. I got my bath going. <laughs> so I I need to. It's just it's just reminding me and teaching me that I have much more energy than I think that I have, and I and I need to stay engaged yeah. versus just uh, kind of chilling, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't good. So, but you also meditate to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You said, uh, what does that look like? I actually am not the best at it, but I started doing it. With this app, let me see what's the name of that. Calm, um, Insight Timer. I think it's Insight Timer. Oh yeah, I like Insight. It's a social media app, right? Yeah, but I never used any of the social media parts of it. Yeah, Insight Timer. Yeah, I love and so it. I love Insight Timer because it keeps track of how much you've meditated over a period of time. It tells you if you missed a day or if you've been consecutive. You can set the timer. It gives you the gong. So I've I find that I'm actually more successful at meditating when I do when I do a passive meditation, which is kind of what they teach you. Well, my Reiki teacher told us this, 
passive meditation to uh, address your seven chakras. There's actually much more points of the body, but you can do all of those or you can just do like certain select the ones that you want to. And so with the passive meditation, I can set a timer and it gives me um, interval gongs of like three minutes. And so I can give each area three minutes of attention and I can like watch TV while I'm doing it. So for me, if I'm doing a passive meditation while I can engage and watch something, I'm more likely to do it versus sitting in silence and trying to like clear your mind because sometimes you can't clear your mind. And I think um, what you can just cope better with acknowledging the thoughts and then like versus trying it, to fight it, try to fight it. So yeah. if you just acknowledge how you feel, what bring, what brought, what emotion was brought up when you hit this point in your body, that sort of thing. And then also I can do it um, if I'm, like, trying to go to bed and I need to go to sleep early. If mm -hmm. I just start, like, meditating on my chakras, by the time I hit, hit my heart chakra, I'll fall asleep. You, you know what's uh, great about that is I started doing one-minute meditations. Mm -hmm. And even though it's a minute, you realize how you don't really give yourself a minute. No. Otherwise, you're just running around. And even if you're not doing anything, you're thinking about the, what you should be doing. Like your mind is always racing forward, and uh, and the days where I even just take a minute, um, you know, I try to do it first thing in the morning, or before bed, or in between, and stuff like that. It makes a huge difference. Just a, a minute of silence. So, mm -hmm. you know, for for the listeners out there, don't think you have to sit there for hours or or. 10 minutes or even three minutes, one minute, you'll be surprised at how much that that can uh, replenish, renew, and uh, rejuvenate you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then do you have a, a mantra or anything that you say? or are you No. Just mm -mm. No, I don't really have a mantra. I think I do more of a mantra when I'm, like, cleansing my house, when I'm staging my, my place or yeah. doing my salo, my palo, palo santo. Palo, I yeah. always say palo santo, santo palo. I never can get it right. Um, but I do that when I'm cleansing my area or cleansing my body. Um, I'll whatever the mantra is that comes to me, I'll do it and I'll just repeat it. But I don't have a steady one. I like to just be in the moment because mm -hmm. I don't want to stick too much to the words and not acknowledge how I really feel. Yeah, I just started doing some chanting, uh, mm -hmm. the Nam Yaw and it, you know, it on some levels it feels cultish uh, and ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I also feel amazing after I've been chanting for a while. And yeah. there's something uh, centering about chanting. And I think it goes back to just the idea of, like, singing feels good. Yeah. Because it's an expression of, of emotion. You're, you're not bottling things up. You're not brooding. And even though you're not saying, I'm sad or I'm disappointed you are expressing something yeah. as, as opposed to just uh, sitting and bearing it in frequency, silence. It's though. What do you mean? Because singing and music, drums, you know, the human body is 70% water, so we absorb mm. that frequency. That It goes through our body. Mm. And that's why, you know, drum bass feels so good when you hear something booming and bassing. That's why singing bowls resonate with people, chanting, choirs, like that music, it... it you know, they say, like, Stonehenge is supposed to be, like, a musical center. It was supposed to be Oh, like I didn't know that. They, they, they say they believe that the stones were actually acoustics for, like, drum circles. Yeah, like that. So yeah. music has always been very big in spirituality and, and just connect connectivity, which is why, you know, slaves weren't allowed to play music. Um, what? So in terms of self-care, Reiki, meditation, mm -hmm. hot, hot yoga. yoga. Yeah. Uh, try to have sex. Try to have sex. Yeah. 
and food. Like uh, we ate, we ate some vegan food. Are you? Yeah. Are you vegan? Usually, no, I'm not or? vegan at the moment because there's a buffet here and I'm right. having shrimp. <laughs> Very true. Um, but nine times out of ten, like I would pick, I would say eighty percent of my diet is vegan, and if that other twenty percent will be like. When I'm at home, like not yeah, here, Vegas right. is an anomaly. But when I'm home or on the road, I'll probably have fish maybe like once every week or every two weeks. But for the most part, I'm plant-based. Plant-based. Yeah, I, I feel I, when I, I realize like traveling as much as we do, it's better to be on a plant-based diet because then it's easier in a digestive uh, system. It is, but it is hard. It depends on where you are. Absolutely. It's like I'm going to Minnesota and Iowa next week, so I have to – Go do Chinese food or Indian food, Thai food. Mm. I do a lot of like. Or whole go. What about Whole Foods? You know, you gonna have a kitchen? You staying at an Airbnb? No, I'm I'm traveling, so it's a hotel, a different hotel every Uh, night. So if I go to a place and I know that, like, I'm gonna be out there for a week, so I'll go food shopping. I'll take my rental car. I'll go to Trader Joe's, Mm -hmm. um, Target, Walmart. Not really Walmart, another area, but I'll go and get groceries, and I know I can sustain myself. And I'll still go out and buy. Like, I'll bring oatmeal. So I'll do oatmeal for breakfast. And I'll have, like, vegetable, like broccoli, carrots, cauliflower that I can steam in a microwave. Yeah. Um, have nuts. And then for dinner, I'll, like, treat myself to something. So I'm, like, just not eating out of the hotel all day long. Uh, last thing is you mentioned earlier the art of conversation. Mm-hmm. What did, Can you expound on that? You know, because I understand what you're saying. People aren't, on some levels, people aren't talking as much. You know, loneliness is is like a big, the big topic now and Mm -hmm. people wanting to belong and feeling disconnected and people just tweeting each other. But when you talked about the art of conversation, what what did you mean? Well, I think people don't know how to sit down and engage with someone unless it is goal-oriented. Unless they want something out of it. So it's like, I'm going to talk to you because I want something versus just like, how are you doing? How was your day? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, And then walk away with a better understanding of the person. And a lot of times people don't talk because they don't think that their story is interesting. Because we're so obsessed with celebrity that you don't think that a regular person with a regular job has anything engaging to say. And I think that's very unfortunate. I remember there was an episode of Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. and the entire episode was this guy trying to chase a fly in the warehouse. Did you watch Breaking Bad? Mm-hmm. It was one hour of this guy trying to get a fly out of the warehouse. The most engaging, intriguing, fascinating hour. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that episode. If that is interesting, and if that is story worthy, and Breaking Bad is one of the best shows out there. Surely your story is better than a guy trying to get a fly yeah. but, out of the room. But the American, the American mentality, and when I say, I mean the wide sweeping American, when you realize the reason why we're in the situation is today is because most people take pride in being normal. Amer- the American mindset is like I'm a hardworking, regular, everyday American. I'm not special. I just want this for my family. So then when you're like, no, 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 you are special, they view that as being, that's an elitist mentality. Like, who the fuck are you to think that you're special? I just work. I just provide for my family. That's all I want. And so then those people, you don't know how to engage because it's like, no, I've convinced myself that I'm just a cog in the wheel. 
there's nothing unique about me. You mm-hmm. want me to be unique, and I don't. That's a luxury to some people of being like, you are special. That's that's like, you know, pulling stuff out of thin air. They don't understand what that means. Uh, and let me let's let's do uh, let's split the difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll validate your not you, Chloe, but you know you not being special. Um, and but I also will validate what Chloe is saying is that you are special. And I'll say let's meet in the middle and say your story is special mm-hmm. because there's no one in the world that has your story, your full ex. Maybe they have part of your experiences. Maybe like Chloe and I, we grew up uh, under just similar circumstances in terms of going to a private school, being the biggest kid in class, but I wasn't the biggest woman in class. Mm-hmm. She was. Um, and I didn't have both parents around physically. I had, I was just raised by my mom. And so we had, you know, she played basketball, played football. So even though we have similar themes, this, the details mm-hmm. is what makes it special, right? And how right? you respond to those And how you things. respond to it, Absolutely. Um, a friend of, uh, actually, um, a, a fan of mine, I, I hate the word fan, a friend, right? Uh, her grandmother, who uh, lived to be maybe 85 or 90, wrote a book about her life. And she wrote the book just because she wanted something to share with her family and uh, something that they can hold on to and have stories about and things like that. And you know, honestly, it's not a great book. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's very linear. She's just talking about what happened mm-hmm. and this happened next and blah, blah, blah. But it's still her story. And I remember things from the story. And I remember thinking, like, how happy she was throughout her life, doing these everyday normal things, yeah. being a wife, going to school, going to work. There was nothing... She didn't do it. There was no point in her story. It was like, oh, that was crazy. It was off the chain. But at the same time, there was so much uh, beauty and richness in the story because of the characters, because of what she lived through. Yeah. Um, Not to say there was a bunch of pain, but it just, um, it took me out of myself and put myself into hers. And I was like, wow, I wonder how I would have handled that or Mm -hmm. wonder what that was like. Or I didn't even... Like you learn things about uh, different time periods that you otherwise hadn't or uh, wouldn't have thought about from a different perspective. Um, so your story is special. Maybe not you, but that and that's what that's what binds us is yeah. our story. That's why people sit around a campfire is to share stories. Chloe Hilliard, thank you for being on a podcast. Um, every episode I always feel like there's someone who's listening who is on the precipice of uh, completing suicide. And I always like to end it with, before you kill yourself, like, what would you say to that person? Hmm. I would say, before you kill yourself, think about tomorrow. Like, think about that one little thing you can look forward to tomorrow. Like, when I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to kill myself. I do a joke about it, like wanting to kill myself and I try to take like Flintstone vitamins. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like suicidal in like elementary school because I was tormented so badly. Mm -hmm. And I was also a fat kid. And I remember being like, I'm going to kill myself. And this is so true. And I hate, it sounds so terrible. And I was like, I'm going to kill myself. Um, Or like, you know, I want to die. When you're a kid, you'd be like, I want to die. You don't really say I want to kill myself. Like, I want to die. 
And then I was like, oh, wait, but there's ice cream in the freezer. And my mom said I can have ice cream tomorrow. And so I was like, I'm going to live because I want that ice cream. <laughs> like, it was just little things like that. You were like, oh, yeah, you know, I just want to die. But, oh, the school trip is next week, and I really want to go to the zoo. Like, little things like that that you can look forward to and embrace. And if you're, you know, if you look at your, your calendar and it doesn't look like there's anything on it, then you should try and put something on it that's worthwhile to look forward to, whether it's, you know, going to dinner with your girlfriends or going shopping with your mom, like something, that little thing that you can, like, have something to look forward to. And I think that's the problem with our society is that we get so locked into, like, work, eat, sleep, you know, work, eat, sleep, that you don't give yourself little highlights. So start putting little highlights in your life and you feel like you may have something to look for. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Chloe Hilliard. Uh, and where can they find you? First of all, you have a book that's going to be released. Tell us yes, about the book. When does it get released? Book, my book comes out this fall. It's called Fuck Your Diet and Other Things My Thighs Tell Me. It's on Simon & Schuster. You can go to F, the, the letter F, and then spell out yourdiet.com to get all the information you need. Fyourdiet.com. You can pre-order it now. It's on all the platforms, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, billions of books, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you can go there. You can go to ChloeHilliard.com. All of it, all of my information is there. And I'll have links to all that in the show notes. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. And I will talk to you on Monday. Peace. <laughs>